what you should be doing with your finances right now, how to pick out the right financial advisor for you, and the importance of creating your roadmap to wealth, all coming right up. This is episode number 181 with financial advisor, entrepreneur, and author, Wayne B. Titus III. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. My mission is to help you gain clarity on what the best version of yourself looks like, and then provide you with the tools, tips, and inspiration on how to make that person become a reality. Today, I bring you Wayne B. Titus III, who is the author of The Entrepreneur's Guide to Financial Wellbeing. And he's gonna tell everyone, entrepreneurs included, what questions you need to ask your potential financial advisor, and he'll teach you some steps to help you build your wealth. Be sure to take a screenshot and post it to your Instagram stories and tag me at carrier underscore best you to let me know that you're listening. Without further ado, here's to getting closer to your best you with Wayne B. Titus III. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm super stoked today to have the one and only Wayne B. Titus III with me here today. And I just want to start by saying thanks for spending the time with me today, Wayne. Nick, it's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, it's going to be a ton of fun. During this time of quarantine, you know, there's a lot of different things going on. And I want to make sure I'm bringing you guys the ultimate value that you need right here, right now. And that's why I have Wayne Titus with me here today. Wayne founded AMDG Financial and AMDG Business Advisory Services back in 2002, based on his 15 years experience at two large accounting firms, um, working with Fortune 50 clients. His latest book is The Entrepreneur's Guide to Financial Wellbeing. And being a fellow entrepreneur, I got so much out of this book. I absolutely loved it. And I just really love y'all's philosophy that you take on kind of how to create the game plan for wealth initially and then kind of reverse engineering that because that's how I take the approach to the best version of yourself. I think we need to gain clarity on what you think the best version of yourself looks like and is capable of, and then try to find ways to reverse engineer that person and make that person come to reality. And so when I was reading this book, I was like, building wealth is just like getting to the best version of yourself. So I'm super stoked to kind of get into uh, some of the things in terms of how to make sure you hire the right financial advisor, some specific tactics that we need to be taking both as entrepreneurs and as just everyday individuals in order to secure your financial well-being, both now during difficult times and during normal times. Hopefully we get to that at some point and then a lot more. So the way I want to start today, Wayne, is, you know, when you were young, you worked with your dad at his Cadillac and Oldsmobile business. And then you spent about 15 years at large accounting firms. And then for about 18 years now, you've had your own business. So my question is, you wrote this book in 2019 or you published it in 2019. Why write this book now and not any time before? Well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, first off, I, I think it's, uh, it's retrospective in some ways because I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, but you know, there's always this question like with leadership even, are leaders born or are they made? And I think it's the same thing with entrepreneurs. Are they, is it genetic or is it learned, right? <laughs> Uh, because there's something innate inside entrepreneurs that that cause you to do to do the things that you do. It's their, your your passion, right? Your business is your baby. And what I've realized, I think, over over the years is my time when I meet with a client is valuable to them and impactful, which is one of the reasons why I started my business when I did. I wanted to impact the lives of people and their families. And I wanted it to be an impact that was significant. And I started to realize a few years ago, 
the number of people that I'm impacting is limited by the number of people that I'm sitting across the desk from or across the conference room table from. And how could I impact more people? The first thing is to make sure I have a succession plan in my business that the business can continue on after me and continue to impact people, but also to share some of the stories and the learnings that I've had over the years in working with clients and to help them better understand why focusing on this is important now. And I realize that by writing a book and getting that book out there and having it be a book that's easy to read, contains a lot of stories and ties it all together about why it's important to have the right advisor. And it's not just like, you know, should I have a, a fee-only advisor or a broker? It's, it's more comprehensive than that. It's, it's having a holistic advisor. It's having an advisor that's a trusted advisor to the point where they're in this journey with you. And so by writing this book, I, I'm able to give some examples of what that looks like and what to look for. Yeah, I really think that, you know, from all the different stories that you talk about in the book, it's really, I've like, oh my gosh, I need to have somebody there who I can talk to and who I can trust in and confide in with my finances and stuff like that. And I think a lot of people don't realize maybe the significance of it, which is one reason why they don't do it in the first place. But why do you think a lot of entrepreneurs in particular put finances on the back burner a lot of times? Yeah, well, I think first off, as entrepreneurs, we have that passion for our business. And so for most entrepreneurs, that passion isn't for finances. It's not for accounting. It's not for compliance. It's for whatever their business is, right? My passion is for accounting, for finance, and for investments and how those things integrate. That's what my passion is. And so they, they tend to put finances on the back burner because number one, it's, it's less of an interest to them. Number two, they, they're not really getting the good guidance on why they need to put it on the front burner. And, and so I, I think by having the right advisor, it will help pull that to the front burner. It will help you refocus on not just your business, but what's important overall. It's, it's the down, you know, you, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, what's that version of the best you in the future? Right? How, how do you make sure that you're working towards that? Well, it's first, you have to have an idea of what that is. And then you have to understand what are the steps that you need to take in order to get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, a lot of people listening, some are going to be entrepreneurs, some aren't going to be. And probably some are maybe going to have financial advisors, some won't. And we're going to get into the specifics. But if you had 30 seconds to talk to somebody and tell them why it's really important to have a financial advisor? What would those 30 seconds sound like to try to like convince them that like this is something you need to do now and not put on the back burner? Well, I think the first thing that I'd say is financial advisors are great, but you want to have an advisor that goes beyond that. It's not how much you earn in the markets. It's how much you keep after taxes. Mm. And so to, to, to have that money work efficiently and effectively for you, how can you minimize or mitigate the impact of tax, not just today, but for the rest of your life or through the rest of your life? The tax laws are going to change every year or with every Congress or however often they're going to change between now and the end of your life. But you have to have a good strategy and you have to have an advisor that's going to help you through that strategy. Sometimes that's not just a CPA. That's somebody that knows how to integrate these things. So much information is in a silo. And we engage advisors that are specialists in these silos. But when we, we have information that's given to us in a silo, then we're the ones that have to integrate that knowledge. And that's where it becomes very difficult. 
Gotcha. Okay. So like you said, and you've stressed the importance of not necessarily just having an advisor just to have one, but having the right one for you, who's going to be running the journey right there alongside with you. So if somebody's going into uh, a meeting with a potential advisor and they take the initial steps, what are maybe some of the couple of most important questions that I need to make sure that I ask the person that I'm almost like interviewing to see if that's the right potential advisor for me? I, I think you need to understand you know, how they're compensated. We go into this quite a bit in the book, but, you know, understanding what realm are they operating in? There's basically three business models. So understanding those business models and how they might work for you or work in conflict against you. So basically you have the broker dealer model, which is uh, based on selling a product. Insurance agents are also in that model. They're selling a product and they're receiving a commission. Their level of responsibility to you is at the level of, the investment being suitable. So suitability is just making sure that it's not awful for you. It, it, it helps support what your goals and objectives are, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the best product for you, right? Because that's a different standard of care. That's the fiduciary standard of care. So brokers and dealers and insurance agents are held to the suitability standard of care. On the whole other end of the spectrum, you've got fee-only advisors, and those are independent, typically independent advisors that aren't tied to a financial product. They're not paid from that product. They're paid to give advice. And they give advice on which products they think are best in the portfolio to support your financial goals and objectives and what's important for you long-term. And not only that, but they're, they're making sure that you're, it's the selection of the right products and it's the selection of the allocation. Should I be in bonds or stocks or what kind of stocks should I be in? Small company stocks, large company stocks. So you have the advice for allocation and the advice for specific products. A fiduciary has to put your best interest first. They can't think about their wallet and their compensation. And so a fee-only advisor isn't pointed in that direction. They're just giving you advice. And sometimes they're making the selection, they're managing the portfolio, they're doing these other things like we do in integrating tax, financial, and investment strategy. But there's many fee-only advisors that are not. They're still good advisors. And then there's the advisors in between that are fee-based advisors. Fee-based advisors kind of split their duty. They are held to the fiduciary standard when they give allocation advice. Should I be in U.S. or international, small or large company stocks or mutual funds? But they receive a commission on a product. They're not fiduciaries from a product perspective. So they, they kind of play both sides of the fence. And as a consumer, you have to understand, you know, there was, a, there was a thing when I was growing up called Schoolhouse Rock. And I always talked about these different, these different things, but caveat emptor was one of the things that they talked about in this little kind of sing-song ditty that they did. But caveat emptor was like, let the buyer beware, right? Uh, you have to be educated enough to know and recognize and understand what the difference in duty is and which one aligns with your best interest, because making a recommendation on allocation is important. But if they're not going to make a fiduciary recommendation on a product, that's not going to be in your necessarily be in your best interest. Maybe, but they're not required to make that recommendation in your best interest. Why wouldn't you want to work with somebody that's required to? Um, and so you have to you have to kind of balance that for yourself. Right. And so you know, I think I don't really know too much about the different exactly the details from the financial advisors outside of what I read in the book. But I think right off the bat, if you're listening to the podcast, you think, okay, I don't really want a broker dealer model 
the fee-only advisors is probably the perfect thing. So what what type of person should get which type of advisor? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the cool thing about my book is, you know, it's financial well-being for entrepreneurs, but it but it really could be financial well-being for individuals. These right. concepts, these concepts cross that boundary, right? So so I think it's important to identify the right type of industry relationship you want. If it's fee only, then great. And then it's important to understand what kind of, uh, you know, what, what's the communication style of that advisor that's best for me? Because if I'm going to communicate with somebody, I need to be able to share information and receive it in the right way. And I think there's, there's three different types of, of communication styles that you should evaluate and look for and determine for yourself. Uh, there's the paternalistic, the one that says, this is what you should do. My dad used to tell me, you know, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> okay. That's not always a great, you know, example. And it's not a, necessarily a great thing uh, when you're looking for a relationship where you need to ask questions. My dad sometimes didn't like when I, you know, would question his authority. Right. So you need to find somebody that maybe isn't paternalistic, uh, that's willing to share what the answers are and why. There's the informative advisor. When you ask a question, they produce a whole bunch of information and then they put it in front of you and say, you pick, you decide what's good for you. And having the information available is great, but sifting through that is difficult. You know, we all are limited in the time that we have to spend in doing these things. And some of us have even less interest in doing this. So we want to do it quickly. And so the third type of relationship, I think, is probably the most critical for most people, and that's the interpretive advisor. They're going to go out there. They're going to do the research. They're going to boil it down. They're going to sift through it. And because they know you so deeply and they're walking in solidarity with you through this journey, they're going to say, here are the things that I think are most important for you to consider. And then you can basically you can take that information and get to that decision fairly quickly because you've got things kind of sorted down to your specific situation. So if I'm going in and those three different categories, paternalistic, informative, and interpretive, those aren't like titles that each of these advisors have. So if I'm trying to go in and kind of scout out the different people that I'm looking into for potential advisors, what kind of stuff should I be asking them to determine if they can be that interpretive advisor? Yeah, I'd say maybe start asking them questions about their process. How does your process work, right? So that's one of the other things that we that we talk about in the book is important to, to know and understand is learn about the process that they use. What's their process for discovery? You know, what kind of questions are you going to ask me in this relationship and why? You know, trying to understand what's the reason that they're asking these questions and can they explain that to you? You know, you want to see them at work when you're asking these questions. And so you're going to want to take a, a look at what their overall process is. So ask them about their process. How do they, how do they gather information? You know, what are the kinds of things that they consider when they're providing recommendations? Will they provide a recommendation or are you the one that's going to have to be responsible for making that decision? You know, what are they going to look at when they provide these recommendations to you? What are the, what are the things that they evaluate? before they provide that information to you. So I think asking questions about that, we have, in fact, on our website, waynebtitus3.com, we have a list of, of things that you can ask your advisor when you go through that process. You wanna know about how they're compensated, you wanna know generally how they communicate with their clients, and you wanna know about their process and how robust it is. Is it written down? How often do they change it? 
Is it something they designed or is it something that was given to them? You know, how flexible is it? You know, you want to, you want to know and understand kind of just like in your business, when you're, when you're serving a client, you may lay out a process. How do you, how do you serve a client from the time they walk in your front door to the time they leave? You want to manage that experience. Well, how does that advisor manage that experience and deliver that result to you? Yeah, I think that's really important, especially when you said, you know, once they talk about their process, ask, why do you do it that way? Because anybody who's good at what they do should have a, an intentional process, right? They're doing things a certain way for a specific reason. So if they have a good, legitimate intent behind their process, I feel like that's a really good teller as to whether or not that can be the advisor that you can trust. Do you feel like interpretive advisors, do you, do you feel like usually it's certain firms are just really good at creating that process for all the advisors within that firm. And usually all the advisors within the firm are interpretive advisors in your terms, or do you feel like it varies just more kind of from advisor to advisor within a firm? I think it probably depends. If you get into some of these larger like broker dealers or even fee-based advisory firms, these are typically like large franchise kind of operations. They have processes and they have systems, but they're more compliance focused. They're more focused on protecting themselves than they are and looking out of the best interest of the client. And so sometimes process is also a little bit of a red herring because while they might seem to have robust processes, what's the objective of that process? Why is that process in place? Is it really to serve the interest of the corporation or is it to serve the interest of the client? And you can, do, you can really determine that just by understanding what the relationship and responsibility is to you as a client when you start to dive into how are they compensated. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to kind of transition the conversation to a little bit now to the reality of the situation that we're currently living in and kind of a very downtime, down market time. Let's say somebody is not necessarily, they could be an entrepreneur, maybe not, but maybe they have a job and they still have the job, but the company is not going to be bringing in as much business because of the nature of the situation. And maybe they're an entrepreneur and their business isn't going to be bringing in as, as much money because of the nature of the situation. What can I do now on, in terms of my finances to protect myself during this downtime? Yeah. You know, investment strategy is, is an important thing to have in place. You know, understanding how you're invested and diversified and rebalancing a portfolio is, is, is consistent with the investment strategy that we use. We never really pull out of the market completely because, you don't know when the market's going to turn around. So our strategy is design a portfolio that's going to support you long-term, right? And then rebalance the portfolio periodically as you have these downturns. The strategy should be designed for the long-term, not for the short-term. And so even though this specific situation is unusual, what's not unusual is the volatility in the market. The market's always going to go up and down. Sometimes it goes up and down a lot, like we've just seen or are experiencing now. And sometimes it goes up and down a very little bit. That volatility might be much lower. So we're in a period of high volatility. That's not unusual. The circumstances that might have caused it are different. But volatility is not unusual. So if you take risk in the market, you should understand that's what you take. That's the risk of being in the marketplace. Financially, if you are in a situation as an individual or as a business and your advisor is not reaching out to you or not helping you with resources to understand how to protect yourself, then what you should be asking yourself is, am I getting out of this relationship 
what I should be getting out of this relationship from this advisor, right? What do I need and what are they providing me? Well, if they're not helping you understand the programs that are out there for the CARES Act, that's critical because right now what I'm finding is people that are not clients have watched our webcast. We have live webcasts that we've done over the last few weeks for the CARES Act for businesses, the CARES Act for individuals, and the CARES Act for people that may be eligible for unemployment compensation. What I'm finding out is many people are eligible for unemployment compensation that they don't even, they don't even know that they're eligible. Take, for example, self-employed individuals, 1099 contractors, gig workers. They're eligible under the CARES Act for unemployment. Not only are they eligible for unemployment, they're eligible for what's called the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program, which also provides an additional $600 a week. So if you've had hours reduced or you've lost your job due to COVID-19, you're eligible for unemployment, even though you may never have paid into unemployment, even though you never expected to have unemployment, you're, you're eligible. I talked with a client this morning. She had to quit her job to take care of her mother who was in long-term care. She pulled her out of long-term care because that facility had COVID-19 cases. So she had to quit in order to stay home to take care of her mom because she pulled her out of this long-term care facility. Well, guess what? She quit her job. Normally, you're not eligible for unemployment. Under the CARES Act, if you had to quit your job for a COVID-19 related case mm. or situation, you are eligible for unemployment and the pandemic assistance of additional $600 a week. So she could be receiving in Michigan, $362 was the maximum amount for unemployment plus 600 a week. That's $962 a week. That may not make up for her total job, you know, income, but it sure helps. Sure helps. Yeah. So um, I think it's really important for people to know and understand what their options are. And I think it's important that your advisor is helping you understand that. Yeah, I think that's really key too, because so many people like we talked about before we started recording, just don't have any kind of clarity in terms of what the details are in a lot of these programs. And like if, if your specific client didn't know this, then it would be it would be a lot worse of a situation than she currently has it, I guess. So I'm going to kind of a little bit transition to kind of just a general financial question, if you will. So if somebody, and this could be this could be entrepreneur or just anybody, but if somebody is trying to buy something, what's uh, the difference between I should buy this and take on debt and take out a loan versus I should pay this with cash? Like what would be the differentiating factor between the thing that I'm purchasing that would tell me whether to buy it with debt or whether just to buy it with cash? Yeah, great. That's a great question. And that's a common thing that we talk with clients about. Number one, like how does it fit into your long-term goals and objectives? How, you know, first off, take a step back and I would look at, you know, what is your plan? The idea is, you know, uh, you know, the sport of orienteering, right? Yeah. Only, only from your book. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. So you're trying to get from point A to point B, but you've got all of this terrain that you have to cross. And sometimes you've got trees that you've got to climb over. You've got swamps you got to cross or rivers you got to cross, mountains you got to climb or whatever. What is the map that we're looking at in your life? Where are you trying to get to? And what are the potential obstacles that are there? What's your current debt load? You know, that's going to determine whether or not it makes sense maybe to even take on more debt. What is your ability to earn income in the future? Because that's going to determine whether you service debt or not. If you have the ability to serve debt and you, you have the ability to maintain income in the future, 
then taking on additional debt may be appropriate, right? Uh, and, and not reducing your investments, like leaving that investment or that cash working in the investment world where it's gonna yield maybe a return that's higher than what you're gonna get on the debt, the cost of the debt that you might incur. So understanding what the journey is and then uh, orienting the map depending upon what your goals and objectives are, and then coming to a decision, I think is important. Because I don't think there's one right decision for people as far as whether they should pay cash or whether they should you know, take on debt. But I do believe that the right, there's a right decision for you. Right. And understanding what your journey is and where you wanna go is really integral to, to making a recommendation about whether you take out debt or you pay cash. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, that's the same answer or same thought process I have in terms of the best version of yourself. Like if you know certain goals you want to achieve and you know you want to be a specific type of person when you're faced with a tough decision, knowing where you want to go oftentimes can lead you in that right direction to make the right decision. And I think that's the same exact thing. Yeah, it absolutely is the same thing. I mean, you know, having having a vision, you know, aligning your values, uh, understanding what your general strategy is, then what the tactics that need to be to get you there, right? Having that long-term plan, that you know, that one-page personal plan is what I call it, 10, 25 years out, then what do I need to do in the next year in order to get towards that? And what do I need to do in each quarter to get there? And what do I need to do this week or today? Mm-hmm. So you're backing into it the same way. Yeah, so similar to before, a lot of people, especially um, young people have a lot of debt that they currently have, or somebody just has a little bit of debt. How does somebody know if they have money coming in, whether I should use that money to pay off debt that I currently have, or I should invest that money right now and let it continue to grow and pay off debt a little bit later? How do I just distinguish between doing one or the other? Again, I think it's back to trying to figure out how does it fit into your journey? Like what is your mm-hmm. income level? You know, uh, what are the things that are important for you longer term? Does it make sense to pay off the debt sooner or to carry that debt longer, depending upon how you're going to invest really and how much that might be? You know, it's looking at what your flexibility is in lifestyle. You know, you shouldn't be living beyond your means, right? I mean, you you should definitely be planning to pay yourself first uh, and saving first. Uh, I think my my dad told me when I grew up, was growing up, you know, if you you put 10% of what you earned away first, you know, you'll be okay. And I think that uh, maybe it's a little bit more than that that we need to be looking at individually to put to the side and to put towards our future retirement because maybe we can't rely on social security. Maybe there's other pensions, you know, back when my dad was growing up, a lot more companies had pensions. Well, as an entrepreneur or a business owner, you don't have that. So you have to save for yourself. How much money do you need to save in order to accomplish that? So if you're not in a position to pay yourself first, then your opportunities are more limited. You have to serve your debt. If you can serve your debt and put money to the side, then you have to evaluate where does it make sense? Do I pay off the debt first? Well, if it's on a credit card, it's a higher percentage cost, then maybe, yeah, you want to pay that debt off first. But if it's a lower interest loan, like maybe a subsidized student debt loan or something like that, it's a lower cost of interest, then maybe uh, you're better off putting that money to the side and investing it to achieve a higher return, higher expected return than what you might pay on that debt. So again, I think it depends on your situation as an individual. Yeah, yeah, and I think that it just goes back to what I, what I said before. This just stresses the importance of having some sort of plan. Like if you have no plan, like you talk about a 
think of Mickey Mantle quote in your book. If you have no plan, you're not going to get to that end goal, right? You, so you have to have some sort of plan because without a plan, there's no strategy. That's right. So a lot of people who listen to the the podcast are high achievers and people who are into you know self-improvement and always bettering themselves every single day. Let's say somebody who's listening is not an entrepreneur now. They have a, a regular job in corporate world or just a regular job. And they like it, but they know at some point like you that they want to be an entrepreneur and they want to start their own business. What are some steps that they can take now to start setting themselves up for success whenever they do want to go into entrepreneurship? Should they maybe set up a different account or what does that, what does that look like? Yeah, so many people bootstrap their businesses, right? They're paying for the startup out of their own savings or maybe they don't have a significant savings account. They're just paying for it out of their part-time job that they're working in order to get their business set up. So I think it's important to identify how are you going to how are you going to first finance the startup of your business under, under, and understand how much cost that might take. What are the expenses that you might incur? So first off, I think having a vision of where you want to go with your business and where it sits in the marketplace and how it's going to serve a client. How are you going to differentiate, you know, from your competitors? and provide a, a valuable a valuable thing. I think you can focus on that up front. Get that vision out there, and then you can start to design the strategy. If you have your vision and your values, then you can start to design your strategy. How are you going to support delivering that vision and those values? And then specifically, then the tactics that are involved and what you're going to need to do and accomplish. So even before you start your business, if you start working on these things, and there's a lot of great resources out there to, to start to gather the information and, and to structure this kind of thing before you even spend the first dollar. For those that just want to go out there and get things started, I'd say you really still have to understand how you're going to differentiate yourself from your competition. How are you going to deliver that client experience that's different? Why would they select you? And then focus on that. So, um, you know, there's that adage of, you know, you can take the shotgun approach or you can take the rifle shot approach. And the rifle shot approach is more important because that's your your target and what you're trying to achieve, and that's laser focused, right? Yeah, putting a sight on where you're trying to to go and really focusing on that, and then tweaking the strategy as you go. Being flexible—that's the kind of cool thing about being an entrepreneur. And what you have to learn is you have to be very nimble. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So, I'm sure in a lot of conversations that you have with different clients and just different people in general personal behavior has a lot to do with how you handle your wealth. Like a lot of times when you're really excited about things, you can go all in on certain items or certain investments. If you're feeling very fearful, like a lot of people probably right now, you act a specific way. So what what are different things, different pieces of advice that you can give people on how to make sure that you don't really operate on either end of the, the spectrum of extreme excitement and extreme fearfulness? Yeah, well... You know, human nature is a funny thing. We're driven by our emotion, right? There's a physiological reason that we react with fear when the markets drop because we attach personal safety to the value of the assets that we have. And so when we lose value, it gives us this uh, real fear that we feel. And so that's actually another good reason to have an advisor. They act as a check against that, that fear, right? We don't want to make knee-jerk reactions and make decisions out of emotion, good emotion or bad emotion. Like, you know, you might feel euphoria and, and like 
just spec'd out this crazy car and this is fantastic. Can't wait to buy it, but it may not be the right thing for you right now. So you need to have a check on that too, right? So it could be on the euphoric side, it could be on the fearful side. There's gotta be a way to kind of step out of it and look at it more objectively. And it's really hard to do as an individual. That's why sometimes spouses act as that check for us or advisors act as that check for us and why that causes tension in those relationships, right? Finance especially is one of the most detrimental conversations in a spousal relationship or in a partner relationship. You know, you need to have the opportunity and ability to openly communicate and keep things transparent. And no one understand, not everybody feels about money the same way. Everybody has kind of their own baggage around money. But knowing what your baggage is, knowing how that evolved in you can help you step back and take a look at it from a different perspective. And if it can't, you need to engage somebody or listen to your spouse or listen to your advisor as different input, as a different filter. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. I think, again, so much of this, I think, translates to just life, personal development. You know, if you if you struggle in one area, if you're a specific way, a lot of times you want to bring somebody with a different viewpoint in to be able to balance you out a little bit if you're a little bit insufficient in that particular area. Exactly. Yeah. What do you think is something that a lot of maybe clients come to you initially with that might be one of their biggest misconceptions that they have about just kind of like building wealth in, in general? Like what's what are some things that people come in and you realize like they just don't understand, I need to make this clear to them. Yeah, I think probably the, the most common uh, thing is, you know, we just had a client, we had a prospective client that came in a few weeks ago and, you know, their perception of what we did as advisors was that we controlled the market, you know, that we could, you know, control the return into their portfolio. And that's the first thing that we try to dispel. We don't control the markets. The markets are going to do what they're going to do. The only thing we can control is how you're exposed to risk. And then those markets are going to return whatever they're going to return. So we can you know, work with a client to have a good investment experience, a good financial experience, a good tax experience, but we can't promise them a good result. So I think that's kind of the biggest misperception is we can't promise a good result, but we can promise a good experience, which likely will end up with a high likelihood of a good result if you follow the process. So as a quick example, people think you can control performance, but we can't. The market's dropped, but what we can do is we can control how we react to that. So we take advantage of doing Roth conversions, of tax loss harvesting and rebalancing. Those are three strategies that we implemented and we, we did this in, you know, around the middle of uh, March. We can control when, you know, when we take these actions, when we implement these tactics that support the strategy. Mm-hmm. What we can't control is how quickly the markets went down or you know, which, which asset classes went down or which ones went up, but we can control which ones you're in, which ones do you hold. So. I think re-educating people as to how the markets work and what we do as holistic advisors and integrating tax, financial, and investment strategy and the importance of that. You know, as I said before, it's not how much you earn in the markets. It's actually how much you keep after taxes. And when you miss out on integrating tax, financial, investment strategy, you miss out on having that be the most efficient and effective um, opportunity for you, you know, moving forward in the future. Yeah. And I really liked how you talked about 
again, kind of the, the life lesson of don't focus on the things that you can't control. Like a lot of people right now are just so fixated on the things that they can't do anything about. It does you no good to do that. Focus on the things that you guys as financial advisors focus on. Focus on the things that you can control that you can do to minimize the risk that you have moving forward. So I'm going to ask a, a couple of more like personal questions in terms of how you've, some of the decisions that you've made. What is one of the worst decisions that you've made in terms of your like financial well-being? We're not really off to get into, you know, specifics or anything. But what's oh, my- I'll give you a specific example. <laughs> I, I have one that just pops into my mind every time I, 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 you know, I have somebody that asks me a question like this. I acquired a tax and accounting practice in 2003. And uh, I had new, new employees that came to work with me. And what I didn't factor into the situation is that when you have four employees, you have to pay them weekly. Well, you know, I just bought a tax and accounting practice that had a a whole bunch of clients, but we closed the business in September. When I say closed, we bought the business in September. Well, tax season really wasn't, didn't start up until January. And so it was a relatively slow period from September through the end of December. So there wasn't a lot of income that was coming in and a lot of work that we were doing. So I had all of this payroll that was going out the door, but very little income. And so I found myself thinking, how did I miss this? I've got to pay these people. And, you know, I had to put, I basically had to put that on a credit card, right? I mean, that expense, I had to incur that expense. I had to pay those people and keep them busy. And that was probably one of the worst mistakes that I, that I made. It was, you know, it had to be done. But it was the, the critical mistake was not factoring in the cash outflow when I had, uh, I guess, a, a wrong expectation of what the related income was during that period. Yeah. So it was really a matter of the timing just be could not be worse. The timing was bad. Yeah. You know, if I would have considered that, I would have maybe thought about how to overcome that in advance. But I, you know, it was just one of those things I just had to kind of make an adjustment. I had to be nimble and I did what I had to do to get through it. Awesome. So on the flip side of that, what's one of the, maybe the best decisions that you've made, especially like looking back on it, you're like, dang, that was a, that was a pretty good decision. I think leaving public accounting and starting my business in 2002 was uh, the best decision I made. I had a number of friends that were, um, it was, you know, the reaction to when I told them I was quitting my job, they said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to start a firm. We're going to integrate tax financial investment strategy for families and small businesses. And they kind of looked at me like they said, you know, words coming out of their mouth was, oh, that's great. But their eyes said, this guy is crazy because in 2002, the market had just crashed, right? And the financial markets were in shambles. And I was going to go out and try to advise clients in a marketplace that was a wreck. Uh, but really, that was the best time for me to get into the business because we started making immediate impacts. I felt like I was making a huge contribution, uh, which was one of the reasons why I left public accounting and started my business was to be able to contribute to to our society. And so that, I think, by far is the best decision that I ever made. Gotcha. Well, before I ask the last couple of questions, um, they're, they're going to be more kind of on you and their questions that I ask everybody. Is there anything that you think that we missed out on that a lot of people should know, especially during this time that we're going through right now? I think that for businesses and for families, you know, we went, we were kind of going on a business as usual uh, situation. And then all of a sudden, 
you know, we were faced with how are we going to stay in business or how are we going to pay our bills overnight? Uh, and I think that's a big struggle for a lot of people out there. And, and I think that what people should be focusing on now is trying to understand what are the programs that are available to help you through this time period and to really try to get a good handle on, you know, what your cash outflow is. So developing kind of an understanding of what that plan for cash outflows are and what the potential support that might come in from either from your employer uh, or from unemployment and this pandemic assistance or paycheck protection programs or emergency disaster loans, understanding what's available and what the timing of that is and how that will offset the cash outflow. And then to stay in touch with creditors. You know, this time is, everybody understands this is unprecedented. You know, keep in touch with your creditors. Don't make promises that you can't keep, um, but, but make sure they, that you, they know that you're working on trying to pull something together. Awesome. So second to last question that I ask, you know, I've mentioned a few times how I believe it's really important to try to paint a picture on what the best version of yourself looks like. So I want you to take a moment to try to picture that best version of Wayne Titus and to think, is there a specific skill or piece of knowledge that the best version of yourself has that you don't currently have? Yeah, I think um, actually it goes back to when I started my business. You know, our business logo is a circle divided into four kind of four quadrants, right? And and from the beginning, I was trying, and one of the reasons I left public accounting was I was trying to achieve balance in my life. And for me, that balance is, you know, being grateful, uh, nurturing my family and others, sharing my skills and, and talents with the, my community and giving back to those communities here in the U.S. and abroad. And to me, to be that better version of myself, that was kind of how I pictured it and what I strive towards. The interesting thing is the balance is always shifting, you know, and, and so striving for perfect balance is not something that I'm likely to be able to achieve, but that's always kind of my target. You find in, in business and personal life, you might be leaning more one way and then you've got to figure out well, how do I how do I get back on the other side of it, right? But kind of you know on a daily basis, making sure I know and understand where am I in that balance? What do I need to shift around and do in order to try to achieve that that harmonic balance, you know, of, of what I'm trying to accomplish? Yeah, for sure. I definitely believe that you know the different areas of your life are going to kind of spike at certain times. You're going to be really involved into one area of your life at certain times, but you have to make sure that the others don't completely fall by the wayside that you kind of maintain those um, as well. And it's okay that or certain areas are going to be at different levels at different times. But before I ask the last question, I want to acknowledge you, Wayne. I think that first off, the courage to go off on your own obviously was a kind of risky decision. You probably saw it as something that you kind of just had to do. I got to do this thing because you are so passionate about obviously the the specifics and the tactics and stuff, but really making sure that you can serve others in, in the best way possible. And you felt like you could do it in this particular way. And I want to acknowledge you for being able to do that and for the way that you approach it as well. Um, going through this book, I felt like, you know, it's a financial well-being book, but because there's so many stories and everything like that, it's just a great read in general. And I felt like I got to know you a little bit more and you can tell your approach to financial advising is very honest and trustworthy and everything like that, which is what everybody should be looking for 
everybody, you need to make sure that you go get this book, especially right now. There's no better time to get this. And, and as Wayne and I said, this is not just a book for entrepreneurs, but any individual, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Financial Wellbeing. And I will make sure I have the link to that posted up in the show notes so you can go to my website and get that. But the last question, actually before the last question, I want to make sure where can other people go to learn more about you and your business and, and all that good stuff. Like the book's on Amazon, but website and that good stuff. Yeah, they can get the book on Amazon and Google Books. They can learn more about me on my author page. It's Wayne B. Titus 3, the number three, dot com. That's W-A-Y-N-E, B as in boy, T-I-T-U-S, 3.com. Uh, my firm website is amdgservices.com. That's alpha, mary, delta, gamma, services.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn at Wayne B. Titus, Roman numeral three. Perfect. Well, the last question, Wayne, is, again, the best version of yourself is, I feel like it's a constant journey. I don't think we're ever at that best version. I think we're always striving for perfection again, but it's never going to happen. I also think it's a unique journey. I think the way that I'm going to get closer to the best version of myself is a little bit different than the way that you're going to get closer to the best version of yourself. So for you personally, if you could currently do or currently work on three things to get closer to that best version of yourself, what are those three things that you would currently do or currently work on? Um, well, I've been working on, uh, and continue to work on kind of my physical capacity, because I think that long-term I need to be in the best shape that, that I can be in to be able to serve my clients and, and avoid any kind of health issues. Right. Um, I think the emotional capacity, being able to deal with my team members to be a better communicator. I always thought I was a pretty good communicator. What I found is I'm not as good of a communicator as I thought I was. And so having that self-realization, working on my communication skills and having that, that uh, emotional capacity to, to work even better with people. And then having that mental and spiritual capacity, having that, that ability to understand and be grateful for what we have and, and what we do and how we serve our clients. Uh, and to have that that ability to recognize spiritually that that's a good thing, not just for me, but for, for others. Yeah, I love it. Three great things. Well, I really appreciate it, Wayne. That's all we got today. Thanks so much. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this great episode with Wayne. Make sure you send this episode to someone who you know needs help with their finances. Or maybe they don't even need that much help, but they're always looking to improve their financial situation. Or send it to a family member, friend, or coworker who is looking for a financial advisor. And be sure to go to www.waynebtitus3.com to check out his amazing book, An Entrepreneur's Guide to Financial Wellbeing. Remember, when you look at your money, it's not just about how much you make in the market, but it's about how much you bring home after taxes. There are so many complicated things that those of us are unaware of if we're not in the finance industry. So reach out to a potential financial advisor and ask them the right questions to find who's a good fit for you. So go out there and take control of your finances and take control of your life. Don't let another week go by. Don't let another day go by without having confidence in your wealth roadmap. Because building wealth and being in a good place with your financial well-being will greatly help you to get closer and closer to your best you.